Hello and welcome to Boomeranging, From Expat to Repat, a podcast that explores the question, what could be so hard about returning home after years living overseas? I'm your host, Margot Anderson, and in this series, we will be exploring the current job market and work opportunities in Australia for returning Australian expats. I'll be talking to organisations who engage with Aussie expats about where they see the opportunities and the challenges for Australians coming home. If you've just returned, are thinking about it, this series will give you the current lowdown on working and networking back home. Today I am talking to the woman who during the pandemic I think became Australia's expat whisperer. LJ Ferrara started the Facebook group Aussie Expats Coming Home in 2018 as a way to answer her own questions about the logistics of returning after 20 years in Hong Kong and London. Her group grew quickly as other expats flocked to her advice on anything from how to get a Medicare card to how to move a beloved pet home. During the pandemic, LJ and her group also became a vital source of information for expats trying to navigate the closed international borders. The group swelled to over 20,000 members and LJ quickly found herself researching answers and solutions for thousands of Australians living overseas, trying to get home or stay connected to family members who were living apart. In this episode, I'm keen to explore with LJ what her community looks like today and what she is hearing from her community about jobs and work back home. So welcome, LJ. Thanks, Margot. It's really exciting to be here. This is my first podcast, as you know. Yeah, welcome. Thank you. LJ, before you share the story of Aussie expats coming home, can you tell us a little bit about your own expat journey? I think my expat journey started out like many, many other people's. I was going out with a really cute guy. We were in Melbourne, then we moved to Sydney for a role. And we looked at the Sydney housing market and said, maybe we should look at going overseas and earning some pounds or some US dollars. So we were quite lucky. He was offered a job very quickly before we left. So we went to London and I had a British passport, thanks to my dad. We settled out into a fantastic life in London, lived London to its fullest and enjoyed being Aussies in Europe. We were there for 12 years and during that time we got married and had our son. And, you know, family issues and family family situations arose and, you know, nobody likes being away from, from family when you've got relatives that are ill or maybe that pass away. So... We made a decision after about 12 years to leave our dream home and pack everything up and try and get a bit closer to home. So we were very lucky that something in Hong Kong was offered. So we went to Hong Kong. We were there for eight years. It's the halfway step home. It's it's the step that you do when you don't want your adventure to end. Nobody wants to admit they're grown up. Well, certainly I didn't. And um, I was not willing to give up that sense of adventure and and the ability to jump on a plane and just go and explore somewhere new. So Hong Kong was perfect for that because we got to explore Asia. So how long were you there? Eight years. Eight years. Okay. So you're about 20 years away all in all. And so how long did it take for you to sort of go, okay, we're thinking about coming home to actually moving home? Was that a long process for you or was that a fairly quick one? I think it was a long process. I think in places like Hong Kong and Singapore, you tend to hit the three-year cycle. At about the third year, I realised everybody I knew had just left in the last month. 
And it was that point that I went, oh, my God, we've got to move home. At least at home, people don't just leave. I really started thinking about moving home when my son started year seven in boarding school in Sydney. And it was the community that I think I had been searching for for his schooling. He'd, he'd always been in great schools. We made lots of friends, but this was the perfect school for him and for the family, which I'm a big believer in. So when that happened, I said, I want to be at home. I want to be by the soccer lines. I want to be at the rugby and it, it's time to go home and let him learn how to be Australian. So that's when the seeds of Aussie expats coming home, I guess, started to form was as you were contemplating coming home and starting to organise the practicalities of, of that relocation. Can you talk to us about the growth of the business or of the Facebook page and how that came to be? I started Aussie Expats coming home as a Facebook group one night. Uh, it was the night that we told our closest friends and my girlfriend Millie said to me, well, you can't go home. You don't know how to do it. And I said, well, you know me, Millie, I'll find out. So I set up the Facebook group. I added everybody I knew who was an expat and it just grew from there. It's become an incredible source of knowledge. It is the expat encyclopedia in one page. I could not have moved home as successfully as I did without all the members in there that have given me the tips and the advice. And I've been voluntarily running this and growing this for now four years, so since 2018. So what sorts of problems were you seeking answers for that you just couldn't find? Everything. I, I called my friends in Australia who'd never moved out of Australia. I said, how do I get a Medicare card? And they had no idea. They just said, well, you just get one. Your mum just gets you one, right? So I had no idea about that. My driver's licence, you know, I had two. I had a Hong Kong one. I had a UK one, which what do I do? How do I rent a house? Everything was so different coming home. It was the same as moving to a totally different country, except that I knew which chips to buy and which brand of milk I liked. And <laughs> so it was very foreign, but very familiar. And so you have a couple of years where the, the Facebook group starts to grow and, and really take form. And then along comes this thing called COVID and the group just swelled and it really took on a different life, didn't it? Can you talk to us about how that impacted your group and how I guess it changed some of the things that you were providing knowledge for? COVID kept me awake for two years and and it broke my heart as well. Along with everybody that was overseas that was stranded or had to go into hotel quarantine in a windowless room or no sunshine for 14 days or a you know 14-year-old boy having to go in and literally spend 14 days on their own in quarantine. I was there for all of it with them and we were always growing. Everybody who has joined the group up to the first 7,500 has been admitted personally by me. And we looked for signs of, that they were authentic Aussies or spouses of Aussies. So we just wanted to make sure they genuinely were moving back home. And I think it was an ABC interview that they put online that all of a sudden we just went crazy overnight. Looking back now, it was just days and days of trying to help people for two years. And if I had been smart about it, I probably would have worked the PR better, but I, I didn't I didn't know that. I was just a mum trying to help people from the other side of the world. 
And I guess in many ways, you really became a central point of information and a trusted source of information when people couldn't get the answers they wanted from the government. You were really on there posting updates. You had this collective voice. It wasn't just your voice that was sharing knowledge and insights. And we would have somebody post something from LA airport at two o'clock in the morning and I might get messages and get woken up about it. And I would then be able to post something on Facebook and share it to the extended network. And so people knew the rules that had come into effect faster than the government were putting it on their website. And, you know, in some respects that was great because it just shows the power of social media. But in many respects, it also shows that really, if it's that easy for me, just a one man band doing it, why can't powers that be get their social media to do it? Because they know more than I do. But I think getting the knowledge out there at that time was just the most important. Yeah, the timeliness, I think, is just so critical too, isn't it? You know, when you're standing on the departure gate and all of a sudden your plane's not leaving or, you know, there's there's all these things that are, you know, domino effects. I mean, I do remember we had one group of people on a plane, I think it was about 25 of them, think they were coming from LA from memory, and three of them messaged me and said, well, what do we do? And they were on the plane, the plane had been delayed, then Australia had turned around and said, well, we only let your airline fly in one flight a day and you've missed your window to land, so no, you can't come. And there were 25 people on that plane who had paid through the nose for their tickets, waited months, they didn't know if they were going to get flights cancelled, and they they were smart. They just said, well, we're not getting off. And the flight eventually did take off. They landed in Australia. Everything worked out well. But when they messaged me and I got a call from one of them, then I I just got on Twitter. I just tweeted everybody I know, my friends who may know people, got text messages at all hours, then I think it was Albo that actually finally turned around and put pressure on the government and got that plane into Australia. I think it's fair to say, though, that you became a lifeline and a trusted source during that time when it was just crazy and it was changing all the time. Um, And that's the power of community, to know that you're being heard and that somebody is there actually responding or attempting to respond on your behalf um, is powerful. I guess one of the things you alluded to it a little bit earlier, but the one of the heartbreaking issues that really emerged during lockdown was also the impact that closed borders had on families who were still overseas but had children in boarding school in Australia. Can you share with us how Aussie expats coming home provided support for these kids? Well, because my son had started boarding from Hong Kong and he spent what, nearly two years as an international boarder, I knew how tough it was. And I knew a lot of people that couldn't get back to see their kids. And so they had to make decisions about, well, do they pull the kids out of school here where at that time there was no COVID and life was normal and take them back to Hong Kong or Singapore or Dubai and where they were in lockdown or leave them here and risk not being able to see them. And I know families that just didn't see their kids for 18 months. And these kids, they did the HSC, they had birthdays and they didn't get to see They didn't get a hug from mum and I think that's what was just killing me the whole way through. So I started up the Aussie Expats Coming Home Boarding School group, which was just for the parents of boarders so that if anybody wanted anything dropped in, then we had a bit of a network around Australia that could do that. 
And so am I right in that Aussie Expats Coming Home is so much more than a Facebook group? You do have events or you have networks of people around Australia? We have volunteers all around Australia that will just put their hand up and say, you know, I want to have a coffee in my area. The only thing that I really insist on is that it's inclusive for anybody. So even if I'm driving through and there's a coffee morning, I'll jump out, I'll come to a coffee morning and meet other Aussie expats around Australia. So people just let me know when and where or drinks or lunches and we just post it up on the group and it's just there as a support. People want to talk to other expats about their experiences. Interestingly, you have mentioned to me before that 60% of your group are overseas and 40% are Australians who've returned. What are the most common questions people look to have answered when they're overseas versus when they're home? Like, how does that change? What sorts of things do you hear about typically first? When they're overseas, it's all about the shipping, who to use, how to send your pets, what do I need to get a rental in Australia? Does anybody know a buyer's agent? All those sorts of questions. It's the pre-planning questions. Once I get here, it's everything from how does my son get his learner's permit? Where's my hairdresser? Where do I go? Where do I go to find the best blonde streaks in South Australia? We have everything. And I love that. I love the fact that we don't necessarily fit into any niche. We're constantly having people join the group who are overseas, but we just don't have a lot of people leave as well. Why do you think people do stay connected? Until they really find their sense of community, people view us as their community. You know, it really takes a good 18 months to settle in. And I know from experience, like for me, months 9 to 12 were the worst. That was the worst. And that was when I started doing the coffee events, actually. My first coffee events was because I had nothing on and I was like, I can't do this. This is not me. So I picked myself up and went and organised a coffee event and we had 20 people turn up. So it just showed that people want it. Yeah, and that's a really interesting observation because we often hear, you know, that it takes two years to sort of really feel like you're properly back. And that doesn't mean that the first two years are a trial or they're terrible. It just means until I really feel connected, it is around that two years. And there is typically a honeymoon period when you first get home. And it's very easy to be busy, isn't it? It's very easy to be busy sorting the house or the kids or getting into the new job or whatever. But once the six to nine months comes off, it can be very much a like, okay, I've popped my head up for air. What now? (laughs) And I guess whilst we know that many people do predominantly return for lifestyle and family, Work is still important and it is part of what defines a successful return. I'm interested in what you hear from members of your community about the role of job and work in the decision to come home. The decision to come home is usually led by family need and lifestyle choices. That's predominantly it. Do you see people coming home with jobs or do you see more people coming home without a job? The lucky ones come home with a job. (laughs) (laughs) The really lucky ones come home with a job. If you get offered a job, take it. Yeah. Um, I see. I think it's probably about 50-50. I think people will wait until they get the job to come back. They'll get the pre-planning done. They'll have everything ready to go so they can go at the drop of a hat. 
And the ones that come back without a job are definitely faced with a much harder challenge and not just from the job market, but also just the pressure on them. You know, I know during COVID there were people that had had all these saving from living overseas and it all just went, coming back, not having a job. That stability and that comfort of having the job to come back to is is so necessary. And do you think people underestimate the time that it takes to find work here in Australia? I mean, you are definitely the expert <laughs> in this. I am not the expert in this. But from what I see in our group, there are very often people that will post about how they or their partner have not been able to find roles. And, you know, the tall poppy syndrome is alive and well. I've found it by being in Zooms and webinars and talking to CEOs myself is it's the person that opens the CV and reads it and is at the lower level of a recruitment process that looks at it and says, oh, it looks wonderful, but Paris and London and Rome, well, that's not Australian experience, which is insane. But when you talk to the CEOs of the same companies, they're saying they're the people we want. So I think there's a real miscommunication between some recruiters and some clients about what they actually want in a candidate. It also plays testament, doesn't it, to to the power of community and network. And I think one of the challenges that many expats face is their networks are tired because they've been out of the country for a while. And so it feels like it's about who you know, not what you know. And so how you reconnect is really important. But that's why groups such as yours too also play a role, you know, just being able to connect with other like-minded people and ask the questions when you need to. So um, I think that's really important. People are drawn to your group because, you know, as we've said, you know, a network is needed to answer logistical questions. Do you think they fully understand the power of having a network when it comes to answering questions about jobs in Australia? They do. I get a lot of questions to post anonymously if it is um, something that they don't want their current network to know. People will always post anonymously. I'm very mindful that if somebody is asking a question about careers and about jobs, it can be because they've had a really negative experience. So I'm very mindful that there are good experiences and there are bad experiences, like anything. So, you know, usually if if somebody is posting a question, they'll get a real mixture of both. And I guess we need both, don't we? But we need to be sensitive to who's posting that at the time and where they're at or what part of the cycle they're in. Absolutely. We had one lady post about her husband not being able to find a, a role and he was a, a fluent Japanese speaking accountant. You know, he worked in Tokyo and just had no luck here in Australia. And we were very lucky that you know, I tagged one of our members who works for a large financial and tax company in Perth. And she actually jumped on and said, you might be perfect for us. Um, we actually are looking for somebody just like you. Also, in listening to your group, you've shared that um, or you've observed the significant number of people also explore the opportunity of starting their own business. And you're currently looking at this within your own network and how you support that. Can you share a little bit about that? COVID really drove it, but so many people come back and say, I'm having a life change. Some people come back and say, oh, I worked for IBM in the States and I was at this level and I was an executive and I'm going to buy a beauty business in Noosa. Or 
I was in advertising and I was at this level in Thailand or in, in London and um, my husband wants to buy a butcher shop so we're going to do that. It's so random and it's so varied and I love that. I love that people are just coming back and, and doing what they've always wanted to do and I'm starting the the Shine series which is going to focus just on our small business members who have been with us for longer term, I would say probably 12 months or more, who have always contributed to the conversation and helped other people out. So I'm going to give some Instagram and Facebook Lives a go and jump on and let's see if we can create a bit of a map around Australia of our Aussie expats businesses so that we can go and and support them. Yeah, it's almost like a bit of a buy from the bush, like where you're doing that. Oh, I yeah, love that. Yeah, you're doing it for expat-based businesses, um, but there's the commonality of you know, you know, of what you what you've done. Yeah, you know, I think lived experience and shared experience is really powerful. Exactly, and I mean they're coming back, they're rebuilding their network. So you know, if I'm driving through Orange or Dubbo or wherever that coffee shop is, I'm going to stop, go in, have some breakfast, and have a chat. When expats arrive back in Australia, they are managing logistics and a new job and sometimes even a new location all at the same time. What advice would you give to make this as easy as possible? If you were like our house, we needed to have one person that was not working because having two people arrive and go straight into a job is stressful enough. But having two of them trying to find mutual time off work so that they can go and look at a rental or a house for sale or meet the removalists or get the electricity turned on or the NBN connected. You just can't, you can't do it if two people are working. So what worked best for us and what I tend to recommend is have one person who's got the job, come back, go straight into the role And somebody just has to be the champion for setting up the home. The faster the home is set up, the happier everybody will be. You know, if you bring back pets, you've got to register them with the council. You can't do that on a Sunday. You've got to take them to the vets for everything else that they need. There's just, you know, if you've got kids, you've got to register them in school. Be kind to yourself. Take some time off. If you can afford it, if you can do it, do that. Yeah, I think that piece is really important because we underestimate just how much time it takes to get the logistical wheel turning. And I know for people that I often work with, it's like you've got to give yourself some space. You can't give a new job 100% if you are still worried about the hygiene factors of getting life sorted. So just allowing yourself some time is, is really good advice. How long should an expat spend planning their repatriation? What are some of the things you think take longer? I think if you know you're thinking of moving back and you have 18 months, then you are very lucky and you've basically got the golden ticket. If you've got a pet, you need a minimum of seven months really, depending on where you are in the world as well. But as a general focus, you need a minimum of seven months. I would personally encourage everybody to start about 18 months out. If you are looking for roles in Australia, you really should be touching base with recruiters or people in your field 18 months out because jobs open up, you know, people go on maternity leave, things change, but at least if you're already out there suggesting it, then you're in a better position. 
I think at a pinch, nine months. I mean, yeah, honestly, if you have pets, you plan to come back in under six months, then forget it. You need to be realistic about the fact that your furry family member is going to have to stay with your best friend wherever you are because they will need, apart from coming from New Zealand, um, and in general they need time to have their shots and find space in quarantine. It's interesting. It's the one thing that I often get asked about is, you know, the timing or, you know, how do I get my pets home faster? And and during COVID, and I think I'm not sure you would know now, the expense of getting pets home just went through the roof. Before COVID, my 20 kilo rescue dog from Hong Kong cost door-to-door just over 8,500 Aussie, which was crazy even then. But she's part of the family. We we couldn't do without her. So before COVID, that's how much it cost. During COVID, the prices were a bit like gold. They went up by the hour. At one stage, people were paying the same amount that you would to freight a pallet back on Qantas and on Cathay. Difficulty is all pets fly into Melbourne. So if there's no passenger flights going to Melbourne, there's very little option of getting a pet in. And during during COVID, it was terrible. It's still going on. I know that we had 74 families in Hong Kong that were quoted up to 32,000 to bring a pet and a person back. It's extraordinary. COVID really showed what people are made of. I know in my group, I had a very strong no travel agents allowed policy because there was just so much price gouging going on and all they wanted to do was come in and get a free audience. Yeah. Oh, you've done well to protect the integrity of the group. We have a great community and incredible moderators and Honestly, they police it themselves. You know, I love it. I love the community report post and I go, oh, great, thank you. (laughs) And I think, look, you are definitely um, the place to go to for logistical information and advice around moving and getting home. I think, though, given the role that you played during the pandemic and filling that information gap, what do you think we can learn from it? And I think how do we make it easier for, for people to access timely and up-to-date and accurate information? I think it depends on the person. Uh, when I was living in London, I joined Twitter for the very first time when the London riots were on because I couldn't find, I could smell the smoke, I could hear the crowds, I could hear the screaming, but I couldn't find anything on the radio or on my local network. Whereas I got on Twitter, put in my area heard it straight away. So I think it depends on how people use social media. I always encourage people to follow our public page, but all the essential updates I put on the, you know, Aussie expats coming home update page. And anything about career really is focused on our LinkedIn page. So I'm not sure if I'm doing it right, but I just try to sort of keep it as much as I can out in the public domain where I think people will go looking for it. Oh, well, LJ, I've really enjoyed our conversation. I want to thank you for, I I guess, what you've built and what you've done in offering the community support that you have. And we will be sure to share all of the details for your network on our show notes so people can head there um, as well. But thanks again for your time. Margot, thank you so much. And I just want to really add this, and that is that, you know, I have tried as much as I can to help the community, but that community really helped me as well. It really gave me a focus and it gave me a purpose. 
And I was the person coming home, not sure what I was going to do with my future. So, you know, big shout out to everybody in our community. Congratulations. Thank you. Aussie Expats Coming Home is a distribution partner of our inaugural Australian Expat Career Survey 2022. If you're an Aussie expat still overseas or returned in the last three years, we would love to hear your views. Go to australianexpatcareersurvey2022.com or follow the link on the InSync website. All participants will receive first access to the survey report, plus the opportunity to join a complimentary career repatriation workshop and networking event with other returning Australian expats. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please do leave us a review, share it with your friends and family and subscribe for future episodes.